So thankful to be here. My name is Jared Ayers, and uh, I have the privilege of being a pastor here on staff. And I've been a part of Skybreak Church coming up on 11 years. It'll be 11 years, actually this month, at the end of this month, into March is when I started coming. And I've been here on the team on staff for going on eight years. And so I'm just so grateful. And uh, I owe so much to this house, to Skybreak Church, and what God has done here. And so if you're new to Skybreak and you're trying to figure this all out, it's okay. You're welcome here. And uh, we believe that you're welcome here. And regardless of what yesterday was like, you belong in the house of God this morning. And so we're just so grateful that you're here. I know it's been said, but church, can we just welcome our new guests, those that are tuning online maybe for the first time, those that are in the room. And I wanna, I wanna thank my pastors, Pastor Nathan Green, Pastor Kendall, Pastor Danny and Janet. I'm so grateful for this house. Can we show them some honor? Like, it's really, it's really easy to walk into a space like this and just assume that it just happened, but it did not just happen. It happened because of the faithfulness of these individuals. And I realize that I am standing on a stage that I did not build. And so we honor God and we honor the gift that God has given us and that is our pastors. And I'm so grateful to be standing here today, um, imperfect, but serving a perfect God. I mess up, you mess up, we all mess up. Let's just, on the onset of this text today, let's just realize that none of us are perfect. Everybody uh, sins, everybody falls short, but we're here and uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna do my best today just to teach. I, I, um, I struggle with what I was going to talk about. I literally, I told Pastor Nate this morning, I had, I guess what you would call writer's block. I kept asking God to speak and what he wanted me to share on and I, I was blank for like three days. And uh, finally, I came on this scripture and I felt like this is what God was telling me to talk about. <clears throat> and so, it's about one of my favorite characters in the Bible, his name is Joshua. He is a champion in the faith and we're gonna get into some of his story but I wanna read uh, Joshua chapter one. We're gonna start in verse one and we're going to read through verse nine. And what I wanna to do today is, in the time I have, just to break it down and see how these principles that we see in Joshua apply to you and me today, because we need functionality in the message. It's not enough just to hear a good sermon. We wanna know how it applies to us. And I'm gonna do my best today to teach and to explain as we read this text. So let's read Joshua chapter one. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, and you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Verse three, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward uh, the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Verse six, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to the, all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right 
uh, hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This morning, I wanna talk from the title, the concept, the focus, if you will, called to conquer. Look at your neighbor, tell him you are called to conquer. Father God, we thank you for bringing us into this room. Lord, I thank you that no matter where we find ourselves, we may not be where we wanna be yet. God, we just thank you that you're with us, that like your word says that we just read, you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, and so God, I just pray that over these next few moments, you would speak through me, speak to your people, let them be your words, Holy Spirit, and not my own. God, we give you the worship and the honor today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen, amen. you may be seated, you may be seated. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump right into this text, and I'm gonna do my best to break it down verse by verse and talk about how it applies to us. And so we see in this book the concept of the promised land. So Years and years ago, God had promised this land to the Israelites, God's people, and it wasn't so much about the dirt. Like, God wasn't just giving them land just for the sake of giving them land. It was a strategic place to fulfill the purpose of God, which came about in Acts, and what actually you and I are living in that purpose today. And I'm gonna explain that a little bit, but I'm gonna give some context, some background. I asked them to put this all on one slide, so I'm gonna kind of break down what it looks like so you see, starting in Genesis, and this is a very basic summary. In Genesis, we see the promising of the land. In Exodus, we see them leaving, exiting the land. In Leviticus, they are given laws for living in the land. In Numbers, we see them wandering outside of the land. This is the old generation. They wandered for 40 years, and they were wandered outside of the land. Now, uh, in Deuteronomy, they're preparing to go into the land. This is the new generation. And now finally we get to Joshua, where we see the possession of the land. So everything up to this point in scripture is leading to this moment. The five books leading into Joshua have been setting the stage for what Joshua is going to do. And what God is going to do for Joshua, I believe that he's doing for us, he's calling us into purpose. He's calling us into something bigger than ourselves. And so as we read these scriptures, I want you to relate, them, uh, relate it to you personally because what God spoke to Joshua, he's speaking us. And I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you're in the room today or if you're watching on the other side of a screen, God has a divine purpose for you. And if you have breath in your lungs, God is not finished with you. And so I wanna talk about that today. But in order for us to conquer, there are some steps that we must take. So Joshua is about to go on to conquer his enemies. He's gonna take over the land. He's gonna possess this promised land that God had for them, but there were some things he had to do. There were some things he had to acknowledge first, and I'm calling these things calls to conquer. So we're gonna talk about some calls to conquer today, and we're gonna start right at the beginning. Joshua 1, verse one, it says, after the death of Moses, so by the way, it starts off with death. Like the very first line in Joshua chapter one, it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun. So this, this whole text is started on the premise that Moses has died. 
And so a lot of things come out of this, but the first thing, the first call, if you will, call number one is our victory starts with the death of our leader. Think about that. Our victory starts with the death of our leader. See, oftentimes we don't think as death as the starting point. We think as death as the final chapter. We think as death as the end, like, like that's it. Moses is dead. Oh, well. But everything you and I believe as Christians starts right here with a death. It starts with the death on the cross that is Jesus Christ. You see, across the world, the cross is recognized. Christians and unchristians alike know exactly what the cross is, but not everyone understands what it means. And so if Jesus had gone, if Jesus had not gone to the cross for you and me, where would you be today? Think about, like if, if Jesus didn't go to the cross and take the punishment that we deserve, where would we be today? The Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, this is not up there, but it says, you were dead in your sin, and for the wages of sin is death. You see, you can't start a new life until the old life is finished. So how we relate to the death of our Savior determines everything we do as a Christian. The way we relate to the death of our hero is critical in understanding this because Joshua was committed to Moses. And so the, the way you and I relate to the cross of Jesus Christ is literally a matter of life and death. Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, you know it, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the start of this book starts with Moses dying, and now Joshua's coming in. So the first point is um, about our leader, that uh, our victory starts with the death of our leader. I'm gonna go through these as quickly as possible. I was joking with Pastor Nate. I had like 12 of them, and I whittled them down to seven. So I'm gonna do my best to get through them really fast. But Joshua chapter one, verse two. So it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise. Look at your neighbor and say, get up. Get up. He said, arise, go over this Jordan, and you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. The call number two, to conquer requires spiritual resurrection. So death normally causes things to stop. Like death is normally the final chapter, but when Moses dies, it's only the beginning. And here's what's crazy is they don't even know where Moses died. Like no one found him. Moses went off and then he never came back. And so God actually had to tell Joshua, hey, Moses is dead. And so, but the death of Moses was not the end of the story. It was the beginning of the story for Joshua. And in order for Joshua to move on and fulfill his purpose, Moses had to fulfill his. And so Moses passes away and the very next verse Joshua, uh, God tells Joshua to get up, he says, arise, and then get moving across the Jordan. You see, getting up just isn't a physical change of position. For Joshua, hear me, for Joshua, getting up meant leaving everything that was known and stepping into the unknown. So he got up physically, but then it was an act of faith to step across the Jordan River. And here's the truth, our sin cost Jesus Christ everything. He laid down his life for you and me. But it doesn't end there. We don't like sit at the foot of the cross like, oh, Jesus is dead. Like, oh my God. Like, that's, the story doesn't stop there. Jesus rose again. Jesus got up. And what he did was he demonstrated to you and me that there is a power that is available to transform your life. He got out. 
So Moses is dead, Joshua, now get up. You see, we can't stay at the foot of the cross wallowing in our shame. We can't stay wallowing in our guilt and our condemnation. The Bible tells us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we are saved by his life. It doesn't stop at the cross. He got out of the tomb in verse uh, five, or chapter five of Romans, verse 10. It says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Look at your neighbor, tell him, get up. So before we can move forward, before we can step into, before we can conquer the call that God has on our life, we have to get up and move away from shame. We have to get up and move away from our sin. We have to get up and move away from guilt and condemnation and past mistakes. We have to get up from other people's opinions. We gotta get up in order to move forward. We have to get up in order to conquer what God has called us to conquer. So that was number two, Joshua 1 verse three. He said, every place that the sole of your foot touches, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. So call number three, we gotta remember that what we conquer is given to us by God. I'll say it this way, everything that you and I have is given to us by God. We gotta do the walking, but God is doing the giving. We gotta get up and get our butts in gear, but we cannot forget who our source is. God does the giving. So every breath that I take, every success that I have, every creative thought or idea or the health that's in my body, the ability that I have, God has given me, he's given you. And in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, he says, for everything, say everything. How many things? Everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. So everything I have comes from God and is intended to glorify God. You see, my mom is in the room this morning and I know my dad's watching online. My first car was a 1993 Honda Accord. I was born in 89. My first car was a 1993 Honda Accord. See, this isn't in my message, but some of you just buying two nights of vehicles, too fast, too powerful of vehicles for your children. <laughs> if I had to pass somebody in the passing lane, I had to pray and I had to like see for like three miles before I was able to pass. But this Honda, it was funny. When we bought it, and I guess I was, I was 16 years old, so we bought it. The odometer, which is what, if you don't know, that's what shows the mileage on the car. The odometer stopped working at 247,000 miles before I bought it, before we got it. So I have no idea how many miles were on this vehicle. It was so crazy. I could even, like, I could be driving. I could just take the key out of the ignition and it wouldn't stop. It would just keep going. <laughs> and um, I had, the, you know, y'all know the antennas were like, you turn your car on and the antenna comes up, right? It had that. But when it, go, when it went down, it would get to the bottom and be like, for like 10 seconds. So I would literally park away from any of my friends so they wouldn't see that happen. <laughs> but I love that car. I Man, I put some wheels on it. I put a radio in it. The point is, I may have been driving it, but I didn't pay for it. It may have been offered to me, but I wasn't paying the insurance on it. And at any point, my parents could take it back. My point to you this morning is your life is on loan. Did you make your heart beat this morning? 
Did you fill your lungs with air? We better realize, church, that everything we have comes from God. We are no, I don't care how smart you are. All that's awesome. I'm thankful that there are smart people, there are smarter people than me. I'm thankful for it. But everything we have comes from God, so we've got to be quick to give God the glory and thank you for everything he's given us. Listen, every single morning, this is not like facetious or sarcastic, literally, I did it this morning, I did it every morning before. I wake up and the first thing I do is say, God, thank you for waking me up. Thank you for giving me another day of life. Thank you for breathing life into my lungs this morning. Thank you that I'm on this side of the ground. Thank you that I have another chance to tell someone about you. We have to realize everything we have comes from him. Joshua 1.4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land from, uh, of the Hittites, and to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Call number four is that we have to recognize there are God-given boundaries. Let me explain. My life is not my own. Like I just mentioned, the breath I have is borrowed. But boundaries are not to hinder you. Hey, don't touch that hot stove. I was the person that would anyway. But boundaries are to protect us. And I want you to think about something. I believe that within God-given boundaries is where your calling is found. Think about it. We can't just do whatever we want, right? Like no matter how much I try, no matter how hard I work, I'll never be the starting quarterback for Dallas. It is way outside of my boundaries. But let's talk about this more spiritually. Let's talk about spiritual gifts. The Bible tells us that the Spirit distributes gifts as he chooses. God gives us boundaries in our calling. You can't do everything, you're not Jesus. So I have to recognize that God is in charge. He does not give me a blank check and say, do with it what you want. God has wired me a certain way, he's wired you a certain way. That's why we talk ad nauseum about growth track, like get into growth track, sign up for growth track so you can know your purpose, so you can know why you're here. God has wired you with purpose and intention and in order to operate in my calling, there are boundaries that I have to abide by. So he gave Joshua all this land, but it wasn't endless. He said, here are the boundaries. And we have boundaries in our marriage. We have boundaries in our relationships. We have boundaries uh, in our jobs. There are boundaries when you pull out on the highway, you can't cross the yellow line. There are boundaries everywhere. And so we have to understand that there are boundaries that God has put in place not to restrict us, but so that we can be everything that God has called us to be within the design of how he made us. So there are boundaries. Joshua chapter one, verse five. Then he says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Call number five, we gotta be confident in God's presence. We gotta be confident in God's presence. God is with you. I believe that with all my heart. I know sometimes you may not feel like he's with you, but God is with you. He doesn't, it's not in his character just to give you purpose, to give you intention, to fill you with destiny, and then just leave you. You see, Joshua is about to undertake the biggest task of his life, moving God's people from the land they're in to the land that was promised to them. But Joshua was gonna face battles, he was gonna face trials, he was gonna face heartache, there was gonna be doubt, 
and fear, but ultimately he had the victory. But God had to remind Joshua, hey, just like I was with Moses, I'm gonna be with you. And that's God's promise to you this morning. God is with you. God is for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. This is the type of verse you gotta get in your spirit. You gotta remind yourself in those moments where you don't feel God moving and you're praying and you're not seeing anything. You gotta remind yourself that God is with you because you're about to go into battle. Hear me, church. Your family is under attack. Our children, our students, our teenagers are under attack. The future may be uncertain. You might be experiencing doubt and fear, but hey, Joshua, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. We've got to remember that God is with us. And this is important. Just because we experience hard times does not mean that God has left us. We gotta remember that. Far too often, God gets the glory for good things which we should give him the glory, but we forget that he's with us even when we can't feel him, even when we aren't seeing the answers that we wanted. He's with us. Look, real honest, we've been praying for a baby for over two years now, and I haven't seen it, but not for one second have I doubted God's presence with me. In fact, it's because of God's presence that I'm able to stand here this morning and deliver this message. Joshua, Chapter one, verse six, one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite texts right here says, be strong, say strong, and courageous, courageous. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance to the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Call number six, strength and courage are required to do God's will. You can't be a wimp, <laughs> excuse me for being blunt. You can't be a wimp and, and walk in the purpose that God has for your life. You see, four times Joshua is told to be strong and be courageous. Three of those times came from God. One of those times came from the people. Can I be real? Following Jesus gets hard sometimes. Following Jesus doesn't make my life easier. I just, I just talked to the students on uh, Wednesday. We talked about um, how we're not to compromise our calling. We're not to compromise. We're not to think like the way the world thinks. We're not to do what the world is doing. We are called to be set apart. And in all honesty, church, we live in a culture of compromise. And as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to be set apart. The Bible word for that is holy. We are called to be set apart. We are not supposed to go with the flow. We are not supposed to look like everybody else. Now, I don't know, I don't know if you've ever tried to walk against a current in a strong river. It ain't easy. But if we're going to live in the purpose that God has for us, if we're going to be followers of Christ, we need strength and we need courage. And so Joshua, we see in his story, he needed courage for the people's sake. He needed courage for the sake of his purpose. Verse seven says, be strong and courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. So he had to be, he had to be bold, he had to be courageous for his purpose. And he had to be courageous in confidence, not confidence for himself, confidence in the one he served. Verse nine, have I not commanded you? He says it again, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We need strength and we need courage for our families, for our church, for our coworkers, for our friends, 
for our teenagers, the next generation coming up. We need courage. Listen to me, church. Hear my heart. It is not an option for us. It is not an option for us as a church. As long as we are preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, you're going to have opposition. And we are, we are sorely mistaken if we think that being a Christian in 2023 is only gonna get easier. And I don't say that to like scare you or, or whatever, but there's, there's so much evil in the world and there's so much attack on this next generation. There's so much attack on our families and marriages have been redefined and everything else has been redefined and culture has abandoned the truth of the word of God. And now it's became your truth and my truth. Now I'm not discounting your experience, but just because I experienced something doesn't make it true. I believe in the truth, not my truth. But there's good news, say there's good news. There's good news. In the end, we win. Good prevails. And there will be an end to troubles that we face. There will be an end to pain. There will be an end to division. But in the meantime, Joshua, be strong and courageous. John 16, verse 33 says, it's one of my favorite verses. It's one of my wife's favorite verses. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And here it is. In this world, you will have trouble. Is there any confusion about what Jesus is saying here? In this world, you're going to have trouble, but it doesn't stop there, thank God. He says, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. You can take heart, because we win. The battle is the Lord's, we know the end. We're gonna win. Joshua chapter one, verse seven, he says it again, be strong and courageous so that you may observe to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, only then, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Call number seven, meditation and obedience are keys to success. And I'm not talking about what the world deems as success, like that, that pales in comparison to, to what I'm talking about. I'm talking about true spiritual fulfillment, true success. Why does Joshua need to meditate? Because he's facing some stuff and everything that he did, he got directives from God. Every single decision he made, every big step he was taking when he was leading the people of Israel, crossing the Jordan, going in and marching around Jericho, all of these directives came because he spent time with the Lord. Before Joshua took a step, he made sure to get this right. He spent time with the Lord and it's important for us if we're gonna fulfill our purpose to spend time with God. We can get so caught up in distractions. We can get so caught up, say, I don't have enough time. How many hours do you spend scrolling? I'm just asking a question. If you felt that, that's. But spending time with God is crucial. Like if I want a relationship with my wife, I gotta spend time with her. And sometimes we approach Christianity so casually, like I'm saved, thank you, Lord, I'll see you in eternity. It doesn't work that way. Like there are other people in our world who need Jesus. 
So we can't be complacent as believers. And so not only do we need time, it's so necessary because it makes us sensitive to the spirit of God. When God speaks, I'm able to hear with clarity what he's saying because I'm spending time with him. I recognize his voice, in other words. So it makes us sensitive to God's spirit. So not only is meditation, time spent with God important, but so is obedience. That's a word we don't like, Pastor Nate. We don't like that word submit, authority, obedience. But verse eight tells us, he says, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. So Joshua was a military man. He understood the importance of a command. You think about in the military, people are told to do what they're, like whenever the commanding officer gives an order, they are taught to obey because it's a matter of life and death. Like if bullets are flying and the commanding officer, the CEO says, hit the deck. You're not gonna turn around and be like, why though? You won't have time. It's a matter of life and death. And what we do as believers, hear me church, is a matter of life and death. We are at war for the souls of man. We are at war for the souls of our families. We are at, don't, don't, be, don't be deceived. So how is it, how important is it that we have unquestionable obedience to our Savior? We gotta be ready to respond. When the Holy Spirit speaks, I wanna act. So my question to you this morning is who's in charge? Time spent with Jesus isn't an option. And now more than ever, we have to be filling ourselves up with the word of God. We got to be preparing ourselves for battle. So meditation and obedience are important and they're the keys to success. Let me bring this to a close. I love this part. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to hold back, but I'm probably not. I was, when I was writing this, I was typing faster, or I was thinking faster than my fingers would allow me to type. I'm so excited about this part because we turn to Joshua chapter two. So Joshua chapter one has set up what Joshua was put on this earth to do, to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. But one of the first things that happened in the book of Joshua, right after he calls Joshua, we see a perfect picture of the gospel. I'm gonna take some time for a minute and just break this down because we see in this, this next chapter, the first person who was not born into the family of Abraham, they're brought in to the covenant family. So from the beginning, it wasn't about conquering dirt. That's what I said. It wasn't just about land. It was about setting up shop to be God's people that would be his missionary nation that would bring other people into a relationship with God. And so in chapter two, we see this woman named Rahab. So powerful. Don't miss this. It illustrates God's heart for all people, and it helps us understand that God sees people differently than you and I. You see, sometimes we develop a hierarchy for people's value. Like some people aren't worth as much to us. Listen, that's not how God thinks. Joshua chapter two, this is so good. Verse one, now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. See, Jericho was the first territory they were going to take over. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab. She was a prostitute, if you didn't know what harlot meant. And they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, 
saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out this country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. And so what Rahab does is she, she hides them on her roof. So they, these men come. Now she's committed treason, by the way, which for the penalty of that was death. So she's committed treason. She hides them on their roof. And now in verse eight, after those men leave, by the way, she like deceived them. She was like, I think they went that way, right? Like you've ever seen that in like a movie? They went that way. But they were there the whole time. Verse eight, now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of this land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. That was 40 years before, by the way. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed, verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. And here's her confession of faith. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven, above and on the earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house. Give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. By the way, they weren't seeking out a prostitute. This was like a hotel, a place to say she just happened to make money a little extra different way. But in these next few chapters, we're gonna see the Israelites go in and take the city. Please do not miss what I'm saying. This is the most important part of this whole thing. They spared Rahab and they spared her household because she stayed in the house. Now, this is the story of the gospel. She is an unlikely candidate. Now she's under the death penalty. Religious people, by the way, would not have started with Rahab. They're like, if we're gonna save someone, let's start with the king. But no, they started with the prostitute. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? What is it in us that causes prejudice? That we think we're better or more deserving of salvation? You see, God hates sin. So he loves people, though. So this isn't a story of, he, he's not pro-prostitute, he's pro-salvation. You hear what I'm saying? And so when you read these stories of Jesus in the New Testament, you see that bad people, sinners, crooks, thieves, would come to him and were changed. Who are we to judge those who God has compassion for? And here's what's crazy. You just... I've read this scripture, I don't know how many times, and I've always just skimmed over it, but don't miss it. Her story was an act of faith. And the tremendous work that she did was later recognized in the New Testament. If you've studied the Bible for a period of time, you've heard of the Hall of Faith. This is Hebrews chapter 11. And in this, people are listed. I mean, we're talking about people like Moses and Abraham and Noah and Isaac and Jacob. These people are listed. So she not only, she not only showed her faith in God, verse 11, she said, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above uh, and on the earth beneath. So now she's in the hall of faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, it says, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. So she is saved by her faith. 
hear me. She is saved by her faith, but then she is justified by what she does. Our faith proves our salvation. James, uh, James 2, 23, it says this, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and, we, uh, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not faith alone. Verse 25, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So you know that world-famous scripture, faith without works is dead. That is based from Rahab the prostitute's story of faith. So that's pretty cool. Like, they spared her. She made the hall of fame, the hall of faith. Like, she's a hero in the faith. She's listed with Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Noah and all these crazy uh, these men of God, she's listed with them. But here's the craziest thing, and this blew my mind when I was studying this, because again, it's easy to read over. Don't miss it. She ends up in the lineage of Jesus Christ. God help me. So if you've read Matthew, you probably skipped over chapter one, because it's like so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, this person and that person, and they begot, you know, it just keeps going. But look at Matthew 1.5. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And if you continue this line, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is born. And I want you to notice something. I'm going to put that verse back up. Matthew 1.5 says, Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. This is the only time in Scripture she is named by her name and not Rahab the prostitute. Why? This is the ultimate picture of God's grace. When you have a testimony of God's saving grace, your sin does not label you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Look who God saved. Look how far reaching his grace is. Your identity is found in Christ alone, not what you've done. So we don't have the right to reject anyone that Jesus loves. And for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be successful, we have to love who Jesus loves. No value class, no rank. We all deserve death, but Jesus spared us and he gave us salvation. And now we have to be like Jesus, uncompromisingly holy and set apart, but uncondemningly, uh, uncondemningly compassionate. Oh. I wanna put up this slide. It compares Rahab's story with the gospel story. I'm not gonna talk through it all. You can take a picture of it real quick. But you see two witnesses in her story. You see the word and spirit in the gospel story. She was under the death penalty. We were under the death penalty because sin leads to death. She had a confession of faith. We are saved by faith. Mercy was shown to her. Mercy is shown to us. The spies stayed for three days. How long was Jesus in the tomb? Three days. Instructions were shared. That's our witness. She stayed in the house. That's the church. Listen to me. It was never about the dirt. It was never about the promised land. It was about people. Jesus, uh, Joshua answered the call that God put on his life, and Rahab was spared. The land was taken, and through her lineage, the Savior of the world was born. If Rahab dies, Jesus never comes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So because Joshua 
He stepped out in his calling. They took the land Rahab was spared and through her lineage, we see Jesus Christ. <laughs> you see, the, the land that the Israelites took, the promised land, became the launch pad, the mission field for which all the world would know Jesus Christ, Acts 1-8, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's, that's you and me. And it all started because a prostitute named Rahab who got a new identity in Christ as the lineage of Jesus. Through her lineage, we are here today. Do you see where you fit into the story of grace? Nothing happens by accident. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, not when we got it together, not when we had it figured out, while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. You see, there is no good news without the bad news. Sin leads to death, that's bad news. We deserve hell, that's really bad news. But Christ died for us, that's good news. That's what the gospel, and you are called to conquer because through your purpose, people will come to know Jesus. It's so easy to, it's so easy just to glance over her story but when you realize that through her lineage, the savior of the world was born and had she not been spared, you and I would not be sitting here today. I'm here to tell you this morning that you have purpose. That even though it might not feel like it right now, even though you may be in the most difficult season of your life, God's not finished with you. He has a plan for your life and he has a purpose for you. And if you'll listen to him, if you'll accept him into your heart, if you'll listen to what he's saying, he will show you what that is. Jesus said it like this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no amount of good works you can do. There's no amount of deeds that you can stack up to earn your way to heaven. It's impossible. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm gonna ask everyone to stand this morning. In the beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth. He created mankind in his image. But sin came into the world. Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree they weren't supposed to, and sin entered. And because of that sin, humanity was cast out of God's presence because he's perfect, he's holy, he's set apart, he can't be near sin. But what's crazy in the context of this scripture, you see that God had a plan for redemption all along. And it took a prostitute to bring out the family line of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible tells us in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If you would just believe in him, you would not perish, but have everlasting life. The way out is a relationship with Jesus. Romans 3 tells us for all of sin, and fallen short of the glory of God. But when we put our faith in Jesus, Romans 10, 9, when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Scripture tells us we are not saved by works. We are saved by faith. And then we prove our faith with works. But you're not saved by works. You can't earn it. 
It's a gift, it's called grace. Just like Rahab was spared, God spared his wrath from us because Jesus took it. The Bible says he drank the cup of wrath, the wrath of God. And when you put your faith in Jesus, your eternity is forever changed. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see you through the lens of your failure. Notice when, when Rahab was called in Matthew, it didn't say she was a prostitute. When you come to Jesus, you're no longer identified by your sin, you're identified by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. And I wanna pray with you today. If you wanna make that decision and you wanna invite Jesus into your heart, I'm gonna ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you wanna make that decision today to welcome Jesus into your heart, I'm gonna give you an opportunity and uh, I'm not gonna make you come up here or do anything like that. I just want to pray with you and I wanna see who I'm praying with. And so I'm gonna count to three and if you wanna make that decision today, I'm just gonna ask you to slip up your hand with no hesitation. One, two, three. If that's you this morning and you wanna make that decision and invite Jesus Christ into your heart, thank you, God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else, I see it, God bless you. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Hands going up, anyone else? Anybody else, thank you. It's awesome. This is a story of grace. Thank you, I see it. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God had a plan for you from the beginning of the world. His desire is that we would be saved, that we would accept his sacrifice on the cross. You can put your hands down. I wanna pray this prayer and I wanna pray it, and I want you to pray it, whether you've prayed it before or not. Just pray it to support those that are making that decision today for the first time. Say this with me. Say, dear Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying for me and raising from the dead so that I could receive salvation. I believe that you died and that you rose again for me. Help me, lead me, guide me for all of my life. I'll trust you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, can we celebrate with those that made that decision? Congratulations, welcome to the family of God.